Today's word comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of God. We are in part two of a series on stewardship. And last week, I gave you a message out of this passage, and we're continuing that, this uh, look at this passage. It's basically, in so many ways, a continuing continuation of last week's message um, where I challenge you to think about this thing that Jesus is saying, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And I gave you this illustration um, out of this book, um, this book, The Law of Rewards by Randy Alcorn, um, which I highly recommend that you read. And he gave this illustration of John Wesley, famous preacher from, you know, a couple hundred years ago. And he talked about, imagine if you lived in the Civil War. And you live, you're from the North, but you live in the South. And you've accumulated quite a lot of Confederate money. You know that the war is going to be over soon. And when the war is over, the North is going to take over. And, uh, and then and, and, uh, all the South, all the people who think they're running here, it'll be, that'll be over. And the question is, what would you do with all this Confederate money? <laughs> all this Confederate money. And uh, the point of that is, if you were wise... Would you hold on to that money? I've got to get more Confederate money. <laughs> more Confederate money. It's a really smart illustration because that isn't kind of like what it is. It's, it's, that is almost exactly what's happening. It's like we're, we are not in a civil war. We're in a spiritual war. And um, if you believe in Jesus, you know, you know who's going to win this war. <laughs> you know who's going to win, right? So do you want to accumulate for yourself money that's not going to be worth anything in the future, treasure that's not going to be worth anything? And yet, as we live on this earth, we tend to constantly think about what is earthly and, and how are, am I going to be do, I'm better off now? There's a, another illustration which Randy Alcorn uses. He says, do you think of your life um, more like, he says, there's like, he, he calls it a life like a dot or life like a line? He says, if you are really honest about your life here on this earth, it's more like a dot. 
you may think if I live to 100 years, that's a long time. But relative to eternity, it's, it's barely even a dot. <laughs> Your life is like a dot. If, are you just constantly living inside this little dot and then accumulating yourselves confederate money? <laughs> or I got to get more confederate money. You know, the South, which loses, and then that becomes worthless. Or you understand that your life is more like a line that's going up, and it's actually an infinitely eternal line. And are you preparing your life for the treasure that's going off for this infinite and eternal line? Things that's treasure that Jesus says will never be lost and be taken away. That's, that's what he's, he's challenging you to do. So that's really the core of what I wanted to teach you last week. And a number of you said to me, wow, that Confederate money part, that was pretty, that, that, was, that, that was crazy, okay? And, um, and so... Uh, I, I just thought, hey, since in case some of you forgot it, I wanted to remind you, don't rack up the Confederate money, right? The U.S. dollars, you know, that, that's just Confederate money, okay? Um, um, because when Jesus comes back or when you go off to eternity, nobody's going to care how much U.S. dollars you have. It's going to be worth about as much as Confederate money. But what does matter, according to Jesus, is did you use it? according to the way he wanted you to use it, because this is what stewardship is. Stewardship is that he owns you and he owns your possessions. Will you do it in the way that he says is pleasing to you and then thus he will reward you? Okay. Now today I want to um, have a continuation of last week's message and I want to really wrestle with this portion of the text. It says, verse 21 for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This works both ways, by the way. Um, do you know that wherever you put your money, that's where your heart tends to go? Do you know that, that that works like that? If you go buy yourself an expensive car, your heart will go toward that car. That's what will happen. If you start dating a girl... And then guess what? Your money's going to go to that girl. <laughs> Anybody, any guy who's ever dated a girl knows that's how it works, right? And so you start dating a girl and then you start spending money on her. And then guess what? Because you spend money on her, your heart goes to her. Because your heart goes to her, your money goes to her. <laughs> because your money goes to her, your heart goes to her. This is really how this starts to think. So it's not just like when my heart goes to Jesus, then I think I'll start putting my money there. It actually, it actually goes other, the other way too. When your money goes to the kingdom and goes to serve him or goes to love other people for his name's sake, guess what? Your heart will go there too. Hmm. Now, what I want to talk about is this question of where your heart goes. And one of the big problems that we have is we want to desire heavenly reward. I hope you want that, Right? But if you're really honest and you're like me and you, you know, we're like this very worldly people in a very worldly and very expensive city where it's like we're constantly money, money, money is like all we're thinking about, okay? In this city, then you know, there's a part of you that really is born again. You believe in Jesus, but like sometimes it's weak, right? Isn't that honest? It's weak. And you know, earthly treasure this is a big deal. It's like there's something that you care about a lot. But how can your heart go in such a way so that it grows more to want heavenly treasure, eternal treasure. Right? And 
Um, I also want to especially um, raise a particular question because this is really interesting. If you really have a very kind of like, all you can think about is like money. That's all you know how to think about. It's like, I love money or I want to have more money or like, you know, material goods in the world. And then Jesus says, there's like heavenly. So is this, is there just like some kind of money in heaven? And then if I just want that more, then if I just give some of his away today, then I'll get more of that. Then it's just me basically just wanting more money. Is that really what's going on? That could be some of the way you can be thinking that if I just give more like the way he wants it out of generosity, isn't that just a form of me being selfish and greedy? That's a question I want to raise, um, um, tackle today um, because it's, it's, a, it's a big question. It's an important question because your heart should be, feel free to seek after the rewards of God, eternal rewards. And I want, I want to address that. Okay, so part one, part one, the, the, the transactional and mercenary heart versus the relational heart. So just to just quick, say quickly, most of us have transactional hearts. Our hearts desire, like if I do this, then I'll get this, right? <laughs> That's transactions. We often are very mercenary and have transactional hearts. But what we really need to have is something more like God's heart. He's highly relational. Hmm. The money serves relationships. The relationship isn't you. You're not using somebody to get something else. You hear what I'm saying? That's part one. The transactional and mercenary heart versus the relational heart. Part two, the first rewards of generous stewardship. Right. We all need some encouragement. And um, sometimes a lot of us were like, I can't wait to get to heaven. I need some encouragement now. <laughs> I need some of those rewards now. And there are some. And I want to talk to you about that. That's part two. And, um, and I'm going to close this message by talking about the eternal rewards on the other side of the cross. The eternal rewards on the other side of the cross. Okay, let's, let's get going, all right? Um, so I want to tell you something first by starting off this way. Um, we have another missionary that we support. His name is John Kim, and he leads a ministry called Reformed University Fellowship. It's, the, it's a campus ministry that's part of our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. And... Um, he was offered a really cool job to be an assistant pastor at this really promising church. And, um, you know, if he got, it, it's a, it's a, that church has a great vision, great, and the lead pastor is a really talented guy. And um, when, he was, he, he, when he was in town, we went out to dinner, and he told me about this. I was going like, wow, that sounds great, John. Are you going to take this job? And he said to me, I'm not, Susan. I was like, really, why not? Because like, if you're an RUF pastor, um, you have to raise your own funds. You know that? You know, because like you're ministering to college, your church is your college students. You can imagine they don't have much money. And so um, as a missionary, he has to go out and, and raise funds. And we're one of the people that help support that work um, of reaching college students in, in Hawaii. Hawaii is not unlike Silicon Valley. People come from the nations, uh, very lost and godless and the campus is a great place to go try to fish for them. And uh, he said this thing to me, which I, I, I'll never forget. He says, I said, why would you want to keep trying to raise funds and do all this hard work in Hawaii when you can go get this other great job and do other really great ministry with this other really gifted pastor with this great vision? He loves that church's vision. He really likes that pastor. 
But he said, no, and this is, this is what he said. He says, uh, now that I live in Hawaii, Hawaii really believes in relational relationships. That's what he puts it. Hawaii, Hawaiians love relational relationships. But if you go back to the mainland, because that's what they call, you know, <laughs> that's what they call us. In the mainland, there's so much about transactional relationships. And you know what? I don't want, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> In Hawaii, I just set up a desk <laughs> on campus and says, do you want to know something about God? And then they go, Are they, whoever's interested in God, I just offer them a real relationship. And you know what? They love it. And then when I offer them a relationship and then they ask me questions about God and then I give them real answers from the Bible, it's like it's on and then they just get saved. It's crazy <laughs> because that's what it's like. You love them, they get relationships and then they get saved. It's like that. It's like, wow. And he goes, you know what? I don't want to go back to the mainland where they do transactional relationships. You guys understand what that means? That was a really interesting critique. So here's a guy who grew up in LA. Now he lives in Hawaii. And he's making a critique of the mainland culture. He's particularly Californians, Asian cultures. Because <clears throat> that's, that's where, how, what he's like. And, and this is a critique. He's saying that most of us, when we approach a relationship, that we're trying to get something else out of the relationship. It's transactional. I, I know you, and you don't actually, okay, we, nobody's really rude enough to actually say it this way. When I'm hanging out with you, you're pretty, even though I don't, I'm not trying to date you, but because you're a pretty girl and when we're hanging out, it makes me feel good about myself. Okay, okay. ladies, that, that's going on, by the way. <laughs> okay, guys don't actually say that, but, but that's going on in the heart. And so then when a bunch of single young people get together and hang out together, they're all kind of lonely and hoping that they'll end up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. But they hang out there and they're going to like love each other like brothers and sisters, right? But really, there's a lot of transaction going on. I'm getting some fun and hopefully there'll be a girlfriend that comes out of this thing. And that's the transactional desire that's happening inside the fellowship. Okay? So churches even have a name for this. They call this the meat market. Now, I hope our church isn't a meat market, but guess what? I'm not naive. Okay, I'm not naive. This is just, so you do other things too. I'll introduce you to my friend. And you're like, sure, you hang out with this person. You're really kind to this person, but this person you're hoping will help you get a job. Why would they be nice to you? Well, because in the future, if they, if they help you get a job, in the future, maybe when they need a job, they'll call you. And then you will help them get a job because you owe them. <laughs> you know what that is? That's called a transaction. I know it looks like a relationship, but it's actually more about transaction. And that's not great, is it? Now let me offer you something else. Um, there's not something else that I think this passage, we have to wrestle with in this passage. Will we do Generous things, we'll like obey Jesus. Okay, Jesus, I really want eternal treasure. That's, that's true. But if I obey you and then use my earthly wealth in such a way, then isn't this just a transaction? So I'm going to help this poor person here or this person, just I'm, I'll take this person out and, and love on them and then spend some of my wealth on them and... You know, it's a bit of an imposition on me or even maybe a sacrifice, 
but you know what? I'm going to get something from Jesus for this. <laughs> so in other words, you're using this person and then you want to use Jesus so that Jesus will hand you more stuff, right? Um, that is not what's going on in the text. And, one of the, and the reason I have to just tell you this is, if this is what's going on in your heart, and, and I would say a lot of us, this is, what, this is kind of how we operate. Because John Tim is right. We mainlanders, we're bad. <laughs> we, have trans, we, like, we like transactional relationships because we like getting, I like to get, not we like to give. And since I want to get, if I give something more, maybe I'll get something more, right? There's actually a whole kind of theology that some people call prosperity theology. They actually preach this in the church. Give God $100 now and he'll give you $1,000 later. Let me tell you something. If you go to a church and they teach that, run away. Like, like leave. <laughs> you should like leave the building before the offering plate comes around. I mean, I mean I, if I went to a church and they taught that, I'd just stand up and walk right out in the middle. And if everybody in the room saw me stand up and walk around, I'm like, good. <laughs> because then I'm being a good witness and a good example to everybody else because this ain't the gospel. Because that would mean people are there not to meet God. They're there to use God to get something from God. You know, hearing what I'm saying? That's transactional. God doesn't offer transactional relationship. You know what he offers? He wants relational relationships. And when he offers a relationship to you, you know what he's doing? He's offering himself to you. And you know, do you know what he wants from you? He doesn't want something from you. He wants you. That's what he wants. He wants to know you. He wants to bless you. And when God is teaching us, when the Lord Jesus is teaching us about how do we use our wealth, that's what he's teaching us. Use your wealth for this. <laughs> now I want to take you into um, this, this, this issue of mercenary, transactional and mercenary. Now here, what's a mercenary? A mercenary is a person that will do something for you, but in order to get, typically it's money. Okay, so like a, his, historically, a mercenary is like a soldier. You know, th these people need uh, to go to war with these people. These people don't have enough soldiers. So what they do is they hire these other soldiers. You guys are good soldiers. You're professional soldiers. You'll come and fight this war for us, and then we'll pay you. That's called the mercenary. The normal soldiers will fight for our country because we love our country. <laughs> and so if we defend our country, that's the reward. But the ones who do it for money, that's a mercenary. Now I'm going to take you into... Um, I'm going to take you through a quote. It's a lengthy quote, so follow it, okay? It's from this book um, called The Weight of Glory, and it's from, it's from a sermon from C.S. Lewis, and he addresses this question about rewards. So this is the first thing I want to say to you. You should want the rewards of God, and you should want them with all your heart. And you should have no problem saying, I want God's rewards, so that's why I'm going to obey him. And I want, I want to take you through this quote. This is very, very important here, okay? To help you, if you, have a, if you have a very mercenary heart or a transactional kind of heart, I want to help you be freed from that um, by, by what Lewis teaches here. So let's, let me take you to the quote. So let's put this up here, right? So here's how he puts it in weight of glory. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial. 
but not about self-denial as an end in itself. God is not interested in you like self-denial, self-denial, great. No, no, he actually wants to give you a reward. We are told to deny ourselves and take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to desire. Okay, you hear what he's saying? There's an appeal to desire, not an appeal to self-denial. So there was some portion in the middle and I want to fast forward here a little bit. He goes on. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward, there it is, reward, and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, like in this passage that we're looking at today, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Did you guys hear that? God doesn't consider your desires too strong. You're like, oh, I, I really got to have more and more money. It's because we think our desires are for money or for wealth or for earthly things are too strong. Actually, according to Lewis, your desires are too pathetic. <laughs> Listen, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition and money, confederate money at that, right? When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Do you hear what he's saying? We like living in the confederacy. <laughs> because you don't know what it, how great it's going to be after the Confederacy. The world is like a slum. And the mud pies in the slum, oh, we got to have the mud pies in the slum. Because <laughs> you've never been to the beach. <laughs> the promise is there's a glorious thing called the beach. Your mom and dad, you know, you ever, it's, it's, it's weird like when you're, you're a kid. Kids, let's go to the beach. They've never been to the beach. I want to do this. And then they pout and they, you know, they rebel against their parents because they want to do the dumb little thing that they always know how to do. This is the only thing they know. <laughs> and Lewis says, we'd rather be in the slum making mud pies because you don't know what is promised you. <laughs> so he goes on. We must not be troubled by unbelievers when they say that this promise of reward makes the Christian life like a mercenary affair, okay? It's not like a, like, like a transaction. There are different kinds of rewards. There's the reward which has no natural connection with the things you do to earn it and is quite foreign to the desires that ought to accompany those things. That's like what I told you. He goes on. Money is not the natural reward of love. That is why we call a man a mercenary if he marries a woman for the sake of her money. You guys get that? So like she's rich. You're so pretty. Will you marry me? It's not because you really love her. You just want her money. That's a mercenary. But marriage is the proper reward for a real lover. And he is not mercenary for desiring it. If you really love her, you know what you want? You want to get her. You know how you get her? You marry her. <laughs> and then when you get her, you know what the reward is? Her. She's the reward. Because you love her. And so is it bad to want the reward of getting her time, getting her attention, getting her cooking? My wife made this dish that wasn't like, that 
very few people know how to make, and it took her a long time to make it yesterday. And when she made it, I was just like, gosh, what a babe. <laughs> That's what I was thinking while I was eating this, right? And do I want that reward? Is it wrong for me to want that reward? It's right. That is right. Because it is the rightful reward of having Grace Park as your wife. <laughs> and if Grace Park's not your wife, you don't get that dish. Unless she's very, very nice and lets you come over for dinner. Okay, but I get it. You know how I get it? I just ask for it. It's the right kind of reward. There's nothing mercenary about that. It's the right reward for the right kind of love. So a general who fights well in order to get a peerage, that's money, is a mercenary. A general who fights for victory is not a mercenary. Victory being the proper reward of battle as marriage is the proper reward of love. The proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. There's a reward in the activity. If you use God's money in a generous way, there'll be a reward in it for you. You and I have to learn how to desire that kind of reward. I give money to this person. Maybe the Lord will hand me a million bucks. I'll, I'll get the... That's mercenary. But there's a better reward than money if you use your money in the Lord's way. Hmm. Now, one more paragraph, and then I'm going to get to part two, right? So, um, don't look at the paragraph yet. I've got to explain this part. He, he then goes into a little bit more of a complex... Um, issue. It's like this. There are some things in life we want a reward from, but when you're a baby or you're a very beginner at it, you don't know how to like even want the good thing out of it. So he gives this example. He says, when he was a boy, he had to learn Greek. So once he gets ad advanced in Greek, he can read Greek literature, Greek tragedies, and Greek poetry. So at the beginning, though, you have to do alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, and where is, what case is this in? And all that's boring stuff, so you could do the reading. <laughs> At the beginning, it's just boring. I got to do all this reading stuff. It doesn't seem that exciting, but you don't know that there's going to be a reward. You're going to get the great, you're going to get the poetry, you're going to get the literature. Heck, you can read Greek. <laughs> that's the reward. But at the beginning, it's a, there's a little more complexity to it because we don't even know how to like want the thing that it's going to lead to. So then this, this, now let's get to the quote. The Christian in relation to heaven is in much the same position as this schoolboy trying to learn Greek. Those who have attained everlasting life in the vision of God doubtless know very well that is no mere bribe, but the very consummation of their earthly discipleship but we who have not yet attained it cannot know this in the same way and cannot begin to even know it at all except, this is how, by continuing to obey and finding the first reward of our obedience and in our increasing power to desire the ultimate reward. So for now, we're all like, got to do Greek lessons. <laughs> we're like beginners. If you don't know how to desire the real reward that the Lord is going to give you forever, which you can never lose, at the, at the beginning, there are some first rewards on this side of eternity. And we're going to, you have to get into those. 
So for some of you, you heard that message last week and you're like, I don't want to just you know, accumulate Confederate money. <laughs> and then on Monday, you're like, more money, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's what you're thinking, right? And then, oh, oh, darn it, darn it. How do you do this? You, what you, there's, you have to go into a form of obedience. We don't even know how to desire the eternal rewards. So we gotta be beginners, okay? So go to part two. I wanna talk about the first rewards of generous stewardship. Because how do you go into this? You go into it through generosity. How do you use, so just think about who our master is. He's supremely rich. So use my money to make more money. Is that, is that okay, is that what God wants? <laughs> you have money. He's like, all right, make me more money. I don't think Jesus is interested in that. What does he want you to do with your money? He goes, use money to make relationships for yourselves in love and get relationships from me. Isn't that what he wants? That's what he wants. Use your earthly treasure to love them with relational relationships, real relationships, and then help them to have a relationship with our master. That's what he wants. So in other words, spend it for this. Now, what I want to do, now that's not easy. There's only so much earthly money, confederate money, and it is useful, and it is valuable, at least now, because Confederacy still runs the place, right? And so we're like, I've got to have a certain amount of money, etc. But what I want to do is I want to give you some passages which will help you to have, take some first steps. Now, I'm running out of time, so I had like three passages. Let's do like two of them, okay? And then we'll do another one next week, all right? So the first one. First one is... Luke chapter 6, this is the way Jesus puts it. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Hmm. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's what he says. Now, let me just, first, let me just, just talk about this as a practical piece of wisdom. Because right? it's actually really brilliant and it is a deep piece of practical wisdom. Um, in this world, do you want more people to do kindnesses to you? There are some of you who are like, I wish somebody would love me. I wish I had more friends. I wish people would be nice to me. Nobody's ever nice to me. They're nice to that person. <laughs> they're nice to that person because they're prettier than me. Or they're nice to that person because they're smarter than me. They're nice to that, that person because that person gets all the breaks and God never gets me any breaks. Do you ever have that kind of spirit? Well, let me tell you, there's a way to break this spirit. I hope that you would, all of you would want more people to show love and kindness to you. There's a way to do it. You know how you do it? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's the way you should give. <laughs> when someone asks you something of you, don't give them the bare minimum. When they want your time, don't give them 30 minutes. You know, when I schedule a, a lunch with people, I expect that they'll give me an hour, but I give them an hour and a half. <laughs> I get, expect they'll give me an hour and a half, I plan two hours. <laughs> Not because I'm so smart, because, or because I'm so holy, but because I want this. <laughs> I want this. Do it with your time. Do it with your money. And you know what? 
Let me tell you something. I've been practicing this for a good chunk of my life. It works. <laughs> Even if you're a godless person and you don't believe in Jesus, you should just try this. You know, I have a lot of friends in my life. It's because you're a pastor. No. <laughs> it's because I practice this. <laughs> and you know what? You give to somebody and you know what? They don't give you back. Okay, the next person. You give to them and then, you know, there's a, a bunch of young people all around this country who owe me a lunch. <laughs> I go, I'll buy you lunch. When you make a lot more money than me, you can buy me a better lunch. They go like, all right, pastor. There's like about, I got about 50 of those coming to me. <laughs> and you know what that means? That means I paid out a lot of lunches and give them a lot of time and energy and, they, and I haven't gotten much back. Not from them. But if you live your life this way, you know what will happen? People will give back and they'll give you more. And then your life will be filled this way. Now, let me give you a spiritual secret about this too. This is how it is in heaven. <laughs> this is how it is in eternity. In eternity, you go, hey, let me have lunch with you. They're not sitting there thinking about, mm, this is going to only take me a certain amount of time because it's eternal. <laughs> they have all the time forever. And so if you go on and on and on, you're not going to, they're going to be like, uh, okay, you know, I, I, got, I got another appointment. Can we get out of here, please? Oh, you, you know, like, you know, I was only going to be here for 15 minutes because I needed a favor from you. So like, can we like, you know, I'll just endure 30 minutes, transactional relationships. In heaven, that's not how they do it. This is the way of heaven because this is the way of Jesus. And when we are transformed into the image of Christ to be human beings, to be sons and daughters like him, this is the way it works. So let's start living in it now. And when you start living in the heavenly currency and economy now, you will begin to reap some of the blessings of it now, but you will really be, you'll really be uh, accumulating great treasure forever. Let me give you another verse. <clears throat> This one's a little bit more complex. This is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Doesn't that sound a lot like Luke chapter 6? Doesn't that sound a lot like Matthew chapter 6? Gosh, the Bible's pretty repetitive, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> because you should get that. <laughs> but he goes on. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now listen to this. Pay attention. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Do you want your righteousness to grow? Do you want your seed to grow? Do you want your ability to give more to go? Then give. Put trust in the one who gives, so then give so that he'll give you more to give. And then your righteousness will grow. Now here, there's verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Let me say that again. You will be rich in every way to be generous in every way. You will be rich in every way so you can be greedy and more transactional? No. 
You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So, here is the appeal. There's a lot of things I could say in here. Uh, just Let me just say two points. One is, you should decide in your heart when you give. You don't have to give to everybody. Don't, feel, don't work out of guilt. God does not like a guilty giver. <laughs> what does he say? God likes the cheerful giver. So don't give out of guilt. If you don't want to give, guess what? Don't give, right? That means in church too. Your friend wants, your friend has need, and you don't need, you're like, okay, just, you should go, Lord, should I give? You, you need to figure out if it's just guilt. If he says give and you're like, that's not guilt, that's a command, <laughs> all right? You should, know, you should know the difference. You need to figure out the difference between your crazy, you know, like neurotic guilt and what is from the Holy Spirit. And when it's from the Holy Spirit, then give freely, cheerfully. I'll make a second point, but... If you don't think God, you're, like, you're, you're free to not give. So don't give. Second point, and this, is, this part's really great. Do you want to see the abundance of God? I'm not talking about more money, but God has a way of giving that too. He does. And interestingly, he tends to give to people who give more. So I'm not trying to do that so you can become more transactional and greedy. <laughs> but it does tend to happen. I've seen it doesn't happen like perfectly one-to-one. So don't think, I gave more. You should give more to me, Jesus. Like, forget that. Okay? But to him who is faithful with little, guess what? The Lord tends to give more because you're faithful with little. And then you know what he's really interested in? He wants to see your heart grow. And when he gives more and more, you know what happens? You, you start seeing him as bigger and bigger. You see him as richer and more generous and more amazing. And you know what? That will be a reward. I hope, you, I hope that's the kind of life you want to live. I actually um, think that if you don't become rich in this world, I'm talking about in terms of money, you will have a better chance of seeing the riches of God because you'll have more need. And then when you have more need, then you ask God and then God gives to you with his generosity and then you will know that God hears your prayers and you'll feel more loved by God. But if you're a billionaire, you don't have to ask God for anything. You just go, I just got money. I'll just take care of it. <laughs> and then they become poor in the greatness of God. Hmm. Isn't that weird, isn't it? But it's true. All right, we'll have to continue next week. I want to close this by giving you one more verse. The eternal rewards on the other side of the cross. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, there's this really great verse. This is what Paul says. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. That's not, the, that's not the great verse. This is a passage about giving, by the way. Here he's taking an offering from churches that have better money to give to like churches that are really struggling and, and, uh, and, are, and, are, uh, and are in famine. But then this is, he doesn't say you should give money because you're a Christian. You should just give money because you're a Christian. That's not what he says. The appeal he gives is the gospel. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You know, 
We have an infinitely rich God, Son of God, when he came to earth, Jesus. And then, you know what he did? He made himself poor. He, he didn't just make himself poor financially. He was stripped naked and was condemned and lost everything. That's what happened on the cross. Why did he do that? You know, there's a passage in Hebrews that says, for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him. He was seeking a reward. You know what that reward was? So that if he would sacrifice of his riches and make himself poor so that he could love us, he would get us. And then we would love him back. And then he would have that riches, how long? Forever. See, that's on the other side of the cross. The cross is like a temporary piece of cost. That's what it was for Jesus. But the glory on the other side, the reward on the other side is forever. You follow Jesus, his cross becomes your cross. And if you would follow Jesus, would you follow after his way, which is, would you allow yourself to be temporarily poor so that somebody else could be richer? And if you help them become richer, even though you become temporarily poor, it's like a little cross. Like, it's like a really tiny little cross. Oh, man, that was a little bit of an expensive lunch. You know what that is? It's like a little, little cross. It's like a pathetically nothing cross compared to the cross of Jesus. But the more you sacrifice and allow yourself to be poorer, you're being like Jesus. And you are also incurring the reward like Jesus. Because we are one with him. And that love reward will come back to you umpteen fold, unbelievably. And you know what? It, it, gets, it gets even crazier than this. It gets generational. You know that? You're going to do a favor. You know, we're going to, we, we, we support our, our, our dear, this dear family, our brother and sister in Turkey. Do you know that there's going to be a love from generations of Turks? You're going to be like, who are you? They're like, you're from Revive Church. You are the family that loved us before we were born. We want to love you and honor you. Don't you think that's worth some money? <laughs> I think it's worth money. It's worth some temporary poverty <laughs> for eternal riches. Let's pray. Jesus, you take pathetic things like money and turn them into incredible things. Eternal love. We are so stuck on these pathetic things. But help us to get out of the slums. Help us to not be fixated on mud pies or Confederate money. But help us to know, Lord, to take first steps. First steps. And would you encourage anybody who hears this message Take first steps in generosity, first steps in tithing, first steps in what may the world may consider even radical giving. And would you shine your pleasure upon this brother or sister who hears this word and press down and running over, overflowing which you pour forth into their life, even starting now, into our life, even starting now, and begin, this is like heaven, and encourage them to live for heavenly life, heavenly rewards. In Jesus' name.